there's something a little bit different at Vlad TV. Uh, today we have Perion Roberts, former drug queen pin who had over a 30-year career. Welcome to Vlad TV. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's your first time here, so I want to start in the very beginning. So, you were born and raised in Huntsville, Alabama. Yes, I was. 
but he couldn't, he didn't know, he couldn't see us because it was dark. And then when he went back in, in the house, we ran down the street to the neighbor's house. And then uh, until he left and they called the police and stuff for my mom and for us, but they didn't do anything. He never went to jail for it. So your own father shot at his kids? Yes. Yes. Okay. It's kind of crazy. He shot, he also shot my youngest brother in the leg uh, when he was 16. Uh, because my, my father had his own construction company and my brother had worked for him. Well, he didn't want to work for him and he wanted him to pay him. And so my dad told him he'll pay him when he get ready. And so they had a little argument. And my brother, the, the youngest one, he was he was tall for 16. And so my dad went in his um went in his pocket and pulled his pistol out and shot him in the leg. And um and then threatened to shoot him in the head if he didn't get up. Uh, you know, if he didn't and my uncle had to stop him. So that wasn't the first time he had shot it at at his kids. He shot that one, but he shot at us. Okay, and the police didn't arrest him over, you know, I mean, it's one thing to shoot in the air or whatever at somebody, not hit them. It's another thing to actually have to go to the hospital, pull a bullet hole out and say that my father was the one who did this. Yeah, he, he went to jail, but they dismissed it. So you're growing up in this chaotic household. And I guess at one point you went to go live with your grandmother? Well, that was when I, it was just me at that time. Uh, when my dad had um, pulled my mother's arm through the, through the screen door. At that time, my parents lived in one of the projects called Northwood Projects. And and so they had these type of screen doors. I don't I don't really know what they look like, but that that was when we went to live with my grandparents. When he did that to my mom, because my mom couldn't take care of me, and and so my grandmother and my auntie had to literally take care of me. We stayed with with them until I was around two years old, and then my dad um, had a house built in a new subdivision and talked my mom into coming back because he built this house, had this house built. And so that's how we ended up back with him. Okay. So you're growing up in, in Huntsville and, you know, you have quite a bit of chaos at home. And then in 1982, you met a guy named Champ. Yes. Yes. Okay. Who was four years older than you. Yeah, Champ was four years older than I was. I met him at a club. We had a club called, uh, 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 what was it called? The Mall Ballroom. And that's where all the teenagers would go. You know, that was a little teenage club. And so everybody from all the different projects, they would come. And then uh, uh, us from the north side you know, would come. So that was the time we had interactions with people from the projects and, and other schools, actually. And so I met him. And um, we kind of, like, hit it off. 
pretty good and um we started dating and we had been together for a minute i worked and i and i started going to AM because i had just graduated high school and so i started going to alabama AM. and um plus i was working and he actually wasn't selling drugs at first he and his cousin they would literally take a sledgehammer and knock holes in the side of the wall of of businesses and take everything out at night. And so when I found out they was doing that, well, my dad, he's, he has his own brick mason coming. He, he's a bricklayer. And so I would tell my dad uh, that I, I would tell him, you know, I was passing by on Governor's Drive and I seen a hole in the side of the wall. I said, that's a potential job you should go and look for. So when they started doing that, my dad would get the job. So I just told my dad about it, but my dad never knew that that he that the reason I knew that the job was available, so it, it kind of like worked out a little bit. Okay, well, you're 18, Champ is 22, and you know you guys are dating and so forth. But at one point, he actually started uh, dealing marijuana. Right, right, and we started that um, started selling marijuana because his other profession wasn't making money, <laughs> real money. And um, so we started selling marijuana. We started a little bit and until we started growing. And the business really, it really took off. And uh, we was making a lot of money. We made enough money for me to buy a couple of new cars. Um, and so until he got into it with a guy, shot a guy, he ultimately had to go to prison for that. And when he went to prison, um, that's when I had to take over the business. And um, But people knew that I would shoot before I actually had shot that guy because I shot at Champ um, one time before uh, <laughs> because he, uh, he hit me. Well, I turned up a carton of juice and he hit it and it went up in my nose because a guy spoke to me. And so I promised him I would do something to him when we made it because I was driving to his mother's house. And so when we got, he got out the car, when he got out, I reached up on the seat and got my pistol and I shot at him going into his mother's house. And uh, I tripped up and fell and I bust my lip. Uh, but everybody knew I would literally shoot because I shot at him. And uh, so then when, when the guy wouldn't pay me, it, it wasn't out of my norm to shoot somebody for not doing something, you know, that I asked them to do or or if they made me mad or something like that. It wasn't out of the norm. People knew that I would do that. Okay, and you're talking about you're 19 years old and – you know, Champ is locked up in prison. You're taking over the drug operation, and what? Someone owed you money and didn't want to pay you, so you shot him. Well, well, see, I was the behind the scene when me and Champ was uh, selling. I wasn't the. I wasn't out in the streets with him. He was the one out in the streets. I was just the one bagging it up, cutting it up, weighing it up, and doing you know doing all that and keeping count with the money. And then when he went to prison, we had, he had guys that were selling for him. And so he couldn't collect the money. So I had to go and they didn't want to pay me. 
because I, I guess because I was a young female and they didn't figure I knew to do the, do the game or, or whatever. And so one guy, he told me he wasn't going to pay me a damn thing. And so I see, yes, you are. And I shot him in the leg. And so I took my money and everything else he had in his pocket. I guess that's robbery. <laughs> but I took everything he had and for not paying me and making me have to shoot him. And um, so then, you know, one thing led to another. And then, you know, people, they, they paid me. I didn't have to worry about ever getting paid, ever. The whole time I sold drugs, everybody paid me. I never worried about that. Okay, because word got out that Perion would shoot you the leg if you didn't pay. Well, I would shoot you. It didn't have to be the leg. You know, I shot a guy in the butt. And so it it just varies. It just depends on how I felt that day. Okay. All right. So here you are. You're kind of hustling on your own because Champ is locked up. And then you hook up with a guy named Po' Boy. Well... No, I didn't hook up with Po' Boy. Uh, Po' Boy was actually Champ's cousin, and he was he was much younger than us. Um, and he used to come up to Champ's house, and they play with his brother. They used to play ball and all that kind of stuff. And I used to take him to the mall, so I already knew him. Um, I ran into him when I had stopped selling and went back to school when Champ was uh, when locked up because. I just got bored with it, selling marijuana. It wasn't really making a whole, whole lot of money. It made money. And so I went back to school, and I ran into him. And he told me that he was selling cocaine now. And I didn't believe him and because I knew him as a kid. So anyways, I went to the projects to see what he had going on. And he literally did. He, he really had it going on. And so he showed me how to uh, sack up cocaine and 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 make the bindles for the cocaine and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then he had a little crew, and I, and I liked the fact that he had a little crew and that was really loyal to him. And But I didn't have a crew still. It was just me. I was doing it hand-to-hand, um, working it my own self. And then when he got killed, then they were... A, crew without a leader and I was literally a, a leader without a crew so we just merged that's how that came about that's how we merged the two together and um and then that then we went from there okay and how did Po Boy get killed uh he 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 had multiple girlfriends and so this particular girlfriend was at a hotel with a guy and um some of of his little crew members called and told him that she was at the hotel with another guy and he went and the guy was literally afraid of him and so he shot him but we it's been speculated that police officer also shot him because he had two different bullets in him he had the one that came from the guy's gun and then he had 357 uh, blow to the back of the head and at that time that's what police officers carry so he literally I guess you could say got killed um, oh my girl okay uh, okay I mean, pretty common 
that situation. When it comes to men, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. So so now so now with Poe Boy dead, you're the head of this cocaine operation. And and at the time, was it cocaine or was it crack? No, it was just cocaine, powder cocaine. Crack didn't come till later. Uh like 89, 90, uh, the end of 88 to 89. That's when crack started hitting the scenes, at least in Alabama. Um, I think in Chicago or other states, it may have hit before then or whatever, but it didn't get to us until then. So it was just powder cocaine at the time. Okay. And at the time, where were you getting, you know, the weight from? Uh, I, at the time, I was getting my weight from uh, some people I knew in Birmingham. Um, I never did get weight or buy anything from anybody from Huntsville because they never really had enough anyways. Uh, and the ones that did have it, they were already busted and gone to prison. So at the time, I was getting my product from, from Birmingham, uh, Ohio. And um, where else did I go? Florida. And then later on, I got a Mexican connection, which that was McAllen, Texas. Yeah, and, and I want to talk about all that uh, as well. But I kind of want to talk about where you were at this. So how much were you making a month during this time uh, after Paul Boy died and you kind of took over the operation? After he died, I was making, oh, it was average money, a uh, couple of hundred thousand dollars, you know, uh, not a whole lot. I didn't really start making a lot of money until much later. Okay. And, and during this time, as you're building up the operation, I mean, when marijuana and cocaine are very different types of businesses. Uh, marijuana is usually pretty easygoing, you know, but once you get to once you get to cocaine, that's when you have the robberies, the kidnappings, the the kick doors, you know, that type of thing. So as you're kind of building up on your own, were you dealing with that type of problem? As for somebody trying to rob me, rob you, steal from you, shipments not showing up, that type of thing. No. <laughs> I know. I, 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 I never, uh, throughout my stint of selling drugs, I've never been robbed. Um, I've never been beat. I've never been cut, stabbed, shot at, or anything. Now, I've done all of that except for rob people. I never robbed nobody. But, um, no, I've, I've never had to worry about it. And no one never tried me, you know. Um, so, I can't say that they might wouldn't this day and time, but they didn't then. Okay. So things are starting to build up and you're building up your operation. And then in 1992, you got arrested uh, for capital murder. I did. I, well, I, but well, bef yeah, before I got arrested, I had got uh, busted by one of my one of the guys that was working for me but they didn't that that's when they literally didn't get much of any they didn't get nothing for real but 
they was they gave me 10 years uh, for that. So during that time, I had to deal with uh, this murder that just came up. And that was because one of the guys that was working for me, he went behind my back and to some guys in Birmingham and tried. My name is Josh and I found my place on Zumper. Our previous landlord served us with uh, an intent to sell and I just found Zumper to be the most efficient in renting. It was definitely a godsend once I found that out. Tried to get some product and he did get it. He did get it, but he didn't pay them. They gave him product and he didn't pay them. So they came up here and shot and killed him. But by us having an argument, people thought I did it. We had an argument because you went behind my back, not because you owed me no money. And so I had literally ordered him to be whipped, but not by these guys. I didn't even know that he had done that until they came, until they came and they told me what he had done. They called me and told me. And so he, he just said he wasn't going to pay him. So they came up here and they shot and killed him. I wasn't even in town uh, when they did that. Okay, so you got acquitted of that murder. Right. Um, did they just drop it before the trial or did you have to go no. to the trial? No, I had to go to trial. We literally, I had a oh, wow. jury and everything. Um, also, it, it was... Uh, one of his family members was in the courtroom with a duffel bag, and in that duffel bag was a sawed-off shotgun. And see, at that time, we didn't have security before you could enter into the courthouse. And so my lawyer spotted him and noticed something different and and went and he told my dad to watch him while he go and get the deputies. And so then they arrested him on the spot. Uh, before that, his dad had, um, when he got shot, his dad laid out at my apartment complex and waited on me. He had a sawed-off shotgun, but I wasn't even in town. So the police came because everybody was telling them that I did it. So they came to an apartment that I had that he knew about, that they knew about, and they found him in the bushes, his dad, with a sawed-off. Um, so, um, <laughs> that, that's what happened with that. Okay. How did it feel when the jury said not guilty and acquitted you of murder and you were probably facing what life in prison? No, the jury didn't find me not guilty. Um, the judge made the ruling. Um, what happened was, um, the state couldn't prove their case because I wasn't even in town. And their witness turned out to be my witness. So the state witness turned against them for me. And so the judge said, asked, the, asked the, um, my lawyer and the prosecutor to approach the bench. This was the second day. And he asked, did they have, did they have any more witnesses? He said, no. Asked my lawyer, did we have witness? He said, no. 
So he said that he went to the scene of the crime and from where they said that it happened and where I was because I had been at the, another gas station getting gas, but I couldn't see what was going on over there, but that had been hours ago. And so he said, being that, um, that I couldn't see where, how she could have possibly seen that. He said, but I do know that it's other people that was up and down my street that night. And I don't see them being charged for it. And he said he didn't have a choice but to acquit me, case dismissed, and that I could not be brought up on any more charges. But it was capital it was it was capital murder that I went to court on. So you have two sentences for that. And you know that's life without or the death penalty if found guilty. So it felt really bad to be charged for something that I didn't do. Okay. So you ended up beating that case. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you met a Mexican guy who's affiliated with uh, one of the Mexican cartels. Yes. But I, that was after, I, because remember, I had the tenure. So I had to go and do some time on that, which was 18 months. I did 18 months. And then when I got out, that's when um, I met met the Mexican guy. And then that's when everything blew up. And I was making loads of money. I was selling 100, 200 keys at a time. Okay. So now you're linked up with the Mexican cartel. Uh, can you say which cartel it is? No. Okay. <laughs> I had to, had to ask. Had to ask. <laughs> okay. But, but but now but now you're linked up with the big boys, and now you have a real plug. Uh, how many kilos were coming uh, a week? Uh, oh wow. I'm gonna say when I first when I first started, I w I, w I got like four or five keys, and that's just to see how fast I could turn it and to. You know, testing your loyalty, I guess, to say, before they really started giving it to me. So, um, I didn't go in weekly. It was like every two weeks or so. And I would, I would start getting like 100 keys. And then the most I got before everything started crumbling, I got about 200 keys, about 200 uh, kilos. And that's because I would have to go down to Mac Allen and um, I would go down there to pay them. But I didn't have to bring it back. They would bring the mule, send a mule to, to bring it to me. And so around, roughly around 200 keys towards the end. Okay. And you were making up to, what, $2 million a month? Yeah. Yeah, I made two million, but I made more than that. Um, when you break it down, um, when you break it down, if uh, because I I would get the keys for a lot less than what normal people would get get them get them for, because usually around that time there was about twenty five thousand a key. So of course I'm not going to sell a key for twenty five thousand dollars, but if I did, if I sold 200 keys at $25,000, that's $5 million. 
So I really made more, and I'm not going to sell it by the keys anyway. I'm going to break it down, and I will sell it an ounce, quarter ounce, or a big eight or a quarter, or whatever, and a half. Uh, or sometimes I have broke it all the way down and sold straight 20s out of a whole heap. So I've made way more money than that. I, I don't even know how much money I really made. We didn't do no counting. We just did, made money, spend money. Uh, <laughs> and we didn't do a whole lot of saving either. But uh, but uh, I, I had my run. Okay. Now, with that much money coming in and so much profit, like what were the most like outlandish things that you were buying? I, I bought a Jaguar. Um, I bought a Porsche and a BMW about a week or two apart. Um, I, I bought houses. I had lots of apartments and I had a lot of other cars and stuff that I call them my trap cars. So I had them scattered all over Alabama. I had a lot. So I had wasted money. And, and, and I, you know, um, and not only that, I was taking care of a whole lot of families. So just not just my family, but a lot of other families. Um, well, and I guess you actually had cops on your payroll. I did. <laughs> I had a couple, three. Um on my payroll. It started with one and I ended up with three. But um yeah, I had to pay them weekly. But uh yeah, they they would give me good valuable information. So I stayed on the radar. I really wasn't under the radar. I was on the radar, but I stayed under the radar because of them also. And and then they they taught me a lot. They taught me how how the police operate how they think and how they go about cause cause they were on the stack team. A couple of them was on the on the stack team. And so um I I knew how they moved and I knew who they were. I knew their cars. I knew everything about them. And they helped me to develop that even after they wasn't on the payroll. Okay. I mean when you're dealing with a fellow criminal you know, the relationship is a certain type of way. Everyone knows that if things fall apart, everyone's going to prison. But when you're dealing with cops, it seems like a very different dynamic because these are people that could turn around and just bust you and then just deny the whole thing or, you know, just set you up to get killed and, and just get away with it. Like, how does that relation? This is Carl. Carl has decided to check out the great mortgage rates at Amerisave, perhaps the best decision he's ever made. Un relationship. I don't know. They just all like me, you know. <laughs> you know, men like women, and and so um, they they just all like me. I I didn't date them or anything like that, but they they just they just like me, and they always want. It, it was like it was like it was a need for everybody to protect Perion, you know, and so and then they was making money to do that. And so I, I I don't know. We just had a great relationship. We was we were friends before, we were friends afterwards. So okay, interesting. Uh well at one point, I guess around this time, 
they started actually using a nickname for you, uh, the Black Widow. Yes, Izzo started that. <laughs> he did. Um, he started calling me that because he couldn't catch me, and I they and they always uh, said, you know, I beat a murder case, and that's rare that anybody beat a capital murder case. You know, uh, a murder case period really is very hard to beat. And so he just started, he started calling me that. He said, because I was a, a, a woman that, that would dominate, dominate men. And he just called, he just started calling me the black widow. He started everybody calling me that. And he's, he's the captain of the police force now, which he was my arresting officer, my last arresting officer. So business is, is growing and building up and, and you're doing your thing. And I guess you were hiding the money uh, through, uh, I guess, uh, cleaning services. I had a cleaning service. I did. And, and so I would literally fund my business with, with, the, with drug money. And I would literally uh, file taxes <laughs> on, on it. Because I had a real business, you know, and I was making real money. Just not cleaning. But I was cleaning up the streets. I was cleaning. Uh, well, then some years later, uh, I guess you're around 33 years old. You uh, fell in love with another drug dealer by the name of Tony. Yes. Tell me about Tony. Ah. I won't say I fell in love with him. Uh, Tony was at one time uh, a big drug dealer. He played football. He he almost went pro, but he didn't. But he, he was at one time at the height of his game in the men division. and uh, But he ended up going to prison. So it, it was short run. And um, he could, he had connections. And so I felt like by pairing up with him, we could be this super big drug couple. And that's not that wasn't the case. That was fantasy. It didn't happen like that. Okay. And then at one point, uh, you know, you, you prayed, uh, you know, you were trying to get out of the drug business and you were praying to God to you know, help you find a way out of this business. And then you end up getting arrested. Yes. <laughs> yes, I um, I got tired. I had lost my mother and my grandmother uh, a few years before that. And um, it still was heavy on me real bad. And uh, I just got to a point where I had just... I had reached a height that no one else had and no one else could even get to, to where I had as long as I had. And I just got bored. I, I, I got tired of watching over my shoulder. I just got tired of the game, period. Because at the end of the day, the only one that's playing the game is me. Um, I have conquered and knocked down all the other players and removed them off the board. So 
you know, as in growth, not as, you know, physically doing anything to them. But um, it was nobody up there but me and nobody on the board but me playing. So I just got tired of playing the game by myself and, and, and competing against myself. And so I, um, my mother, I grew up in a church and my grandmother and mother taught me how to pray. And so I say, anytime you want something, you just, you, you know, you pray and ask God for it. So I went home and I prayed and I asked him for a way out. And so my, I was asking him, like, how do, you, normally when you're in a gang, I didn't call us a gang, I said a crew, but, but when you're in a gang, you have a repercussion. So therefore you can't really get out of the gang without consequences. So my question was to the Lord is, how do you get out when you are the repercussion? How do you get out? I, and, and I didn't know how to, to stop. It, it was like I, I thirst to sell drugs. It, it was something that I, I just had to do. Um, and so two weeks after that <laughs> prayer, um, <laughs> I did what I told my guys not to do, and that's to ever sell in a, in a parking lot. Uh, in a grocery store parking lot because you can't watch the entire parking lot. You can't you can't possibly know who's in every car, and to not to ever do that. And so I did do that, and I did get busted, and that day. And they had helicopters. They had so many polices at me that day. And uh, when they got me out the car, I just you know I I didn't resist. I just got out of the car, put my hands behind my back and looked up in the sky. And I was like, this is not what I meant, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah. And uh, that's when I went to court. Well, when I got busted. Okay. So what year was this when you, they actually busted you? They busted me in 2001. All right. So here you are, 2001. At that point, you've been dealing for decades and what are they charging with it at this trafficking point? trafficking okay okay was there a certain amount i mean are they charging with a certain number of kilos uh, or no it, it was not even no kilos uh actually i had a truck coming so they kind of like missed the, the big the big bus so it was only a half a kilo that they caught me and, uh, but they charged me with trafficking and that's the most they ever caught me with. So, you know, they thought that was, the, that was a big deal. So, but, um, no, they, they, they couldn't have caught me with nothing else anyway. Okay. So they catch you after trying to catch you for years and didn't you get off for like 99 years? They offered me 99 years um, for that. But before I went to court, I didn't go to court for three years after they busted me. And that was during that three-year time is when Captain Izzo and I had met and seen each other in a, a furniture store. He was with his family, and I was with my daughter. Um, my daughter... Um, um, but was making friends with his with his daughter, 
and anyways, we talked, we talked for like four hours, and when we finished talking, he said, you know, you're not the person that they said that you are, he said, I'm going to help you, I'm going to help you, and he's my arresting officer, he was my arresting officer, and when he went to the DA to offer five years split eight months, he told him, the DA told him, no, I'm gonna get I'm offering her ninety-nine years. And so everybody was like tripping, you know, and um but anyways, um we went to court and he he came with another offer, he came with twenty one years and said that if I didn't take the twenty one years and we take it to court and they get tried for it then he's going to automatically give me as the judge for the 21, for the 99 years. So being that they caught me with something, I couldn't take the chance in going to court because I know I'm okay, I'm guilty. So I took the 21. I prayed about it, but I also told them that the Lord had told me that I was only going to do two years. And so I told them in courtroom, because they asked me to have anything to say. And I went to prison March 06 and I'm uh, March 04 and I made parole March 06 so that was two years on a 21 which I was the first person at the time to get a 21 year sentence um in Alabama and the first person to get out on a 21 year sentence in two years well if you got sentenced in 2004, you were 40 years old at the time. Uh, so you're being told that you're going to get out at 61 years old, almost a senior citizen. Exactly. Uh, now, you're, now, now you're saying that, you know, God told me I'm only going to get two years, but, but according to the law, you just got 21 years. Correct. So how did it feel as a 40-year-old to be told that you're going to be in prison for over two decades? I didn't, I don't know. I didn't think about it. I didn't, I didn't think that I wasn't going to get out in two years. I don't know. Uh, because when I went to prison, uh, they gave me my setup. They give, uh, when you go, uh, two weeks after you go, they'll give you a parole setup. And when I got there, my parole setup was for two years. So I didn't think that I wasn't going to make parole. And so I never thought thought that I would be there to 2025 because that would have been my uh, end of sentence. And uh, so it wasn't, you know, so. Well, you know, most people who look at someone who got 21 years and get out in two, they assume the person cooperated. They gave up their plug, they gave up their workers, they, they did whatever. Did, did any of that happen? No, no. Uh, what happened was... <laughs> Um, probably what helped me get out is I filed a lawsuit against uh, Alabama Department of Corrections and I won the lawsuit and that was about their medical the prison condition um, they killed a girl in front of me and I had called the feds in on them um, ultimately the officers got fired later on the um, warden resigned um, so I, I was making I was making a lot of noise in prison and against the prison system that they wanted to keep quiet. And so 
I guess the best way to keep me quiet is to send me home. Okay, and you know, you're talking about a, a women's prison. Right. And you know, you talked about how in a women's prison, a lot of times the women will trade sex, uh, you know, for privileges with the guards. Mm -hmm. They did that a lot. They yeah. they did they did a lot. Uh, we had uh, a couple of girls to come up pregnant. We had a 15 year old that was there, and uh, she came up pregnant. And um, and there's no way she could have been pregnant unless it was by an officer because she had been there for a year or two. So. You know, she wasn't pregnant when she came in. And so that was, that was, um, that, that was some stuff that was addressed to, uh, in the lawsuits and stuff that I filed against them. Okay. And then by 2014, you got a full pardon from the state of Alabama. I did. I did. And I was, uh, uh I was, I was the only person. Uh, then it was 9,000 plus applicants and uh, for a pardon. They only granted, Alabama only granted 242 applicants. And me being the only one in North Alabama to receive a full pardon. How did it feel to walk out of prison after two years? Relieved. Relieved. And, um, I knew that that my life was completely going to be turned around. I was not going back the path that I had came down because that was something that I had promised myself. Um, my dad and my grandfather was the only one I had left, and and God that you know I would not go back down that path. So I felt I felt good. I felt relieved. I felt free. I could you know I could breathe. I didn't have to worry about. If I pass by a police car, is he going to turn around because he noticed it was me? And, you know, come shake the car down or busting in my house. I feel good. I feel real good. Well, you're leaving the business at this point. But, you know, along the way, there was a lot of chaos that you had participated in. And, you know, people feel some type of way. People have gotten shot. People have gotten, you know, beat up and so forth under your watch. Was there a certain level of what if some of those people come back? No. Um, it's funny. I always say reform don't mean cured. So, I, you know, I and then I didn't put myself in a, a position or uh, for anyone to come after me or, or anything like that. Um, whatever happened to a person and, and I had to do whatever I did, it was warranted and they knew it. So, um, if you didn't have a beef then, don't, don't have one later. You know, the time for beefing is, is at that particular time. And that's just how I, I ran everything. I didn't worry about it. In fact, everyone still like like being around me. I want to be around me, even the ones whatever happened to them. They they love being around me. They want to be in my company, so I never had that problem. Well, when you look back on 
on your drug career. And, you know, for you, it was business. You were making money. You were supporting families and so forth. But the hundreds of kilos that you were pushing into your community, which, you know, ultimately got cooked up and turned into crack, which created the crack addicts, the crack babies, uh, you know, women doing whatever for a hit, uh, you know, kids end up being neglected, you know, entire, entire huge groups of people that were destroyed based on your business. How do you look at that these days? Oh, these days I look at it um, with severe empathy. I'm, 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 I'm so sorry uh, for doing that. Um, I, I, I didn't see it then like I see now. And I, I look at it that I destroyed my own community for really greed, for money, um, you know, and I hate that. I hate that I even, um, I hate I even started selling drugs um, because I've always liked helping people. I've never wanted to destroy nobody. And I not only destroyed one person, but I destroyed a lot of communities throughout Alabama. And um, so my way of trying to restore that or I pay for it. I try to give it back um, every way, whichever way I can, with helping, educating people on voting. Um, you know, I also filed a lawsuit against Alabama about ex-felons to be able to vote um, and help people get jobs. Um, you know, ex-felons. I was working with a program where we were helping ex-felons to get really good jobs. And um, that kind of like fell to the wayside but I still, um, I still have the thirst to help build the community back up, and I'm going to do whatever I have to to help with that effort. Well, uh, Perion Roberts, it's quite a story. Uh, I've interviewed lots of drug kingpins over the years, from the, the Freeway Rickies to the Little D's to the AZ Faisans, uh, but never a female. Uh, you know, this is why I said in the beginning of the interview, like, this is a little different for the Vlad TV audience. Uh, the fact that as a woman, you can get to those heights and really keep the business going when it is a completely male-oriented uh, business is, uh, you know, pretty crazy. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, you, you did your time. Uh, you know, you worked the system, you know, to your advantage legally. And it sounds like you have a lot of regret over what you've done. And, you know, I think it really tells a, a cautionary tale to people who are, you know, girls who are watching, who, you know, have the D-boy boyfriend who are mixed up in the business and, right. you know, want to go along the same path. You know, what would you tell those girls who have the, you know, the drug dealer boyfriend who, who's mixed up in his business? What would you tell them right now? To get out quick. Oh, <laughs> oh, you you know, ultimately, it's, it's your decision and who you be with. And most of the time, drug boys, when they get busted and the girl is with them, they put it on the girl. And then you have a case. 
or you will take a case for him because you don't have a case. And that's still wrong. And so it's all good because, because you're making money now. But when you go to prison, what are you going to do? How, how will you be able to get your hair done every day or whatever you do or, or whatever you do it is spending money, you know? So I would advise them to um, find out who they really are and, and make a better choice in who you're dating and get your own life and career together because at the end of the day, when he's going to get busted. It is not going to last forever. I think I've made the longest run than anybody in the country in selling drugs. Uh, and that's just not heard of. And so in this day and time, that's not happening because a lot of people are dying from the drugs that they are pushing nowadays. You know, they, their lifespan is three to six months, literally. So I would advise a young girl to... to she dropped out of school, go back to school, get education um, so that you can get a job and don't get no felonies because they're easy to get and very, very hard to get rid of. So, you know, and, and just persevere with your own life. Be your own woman. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, of course, your story is featured on American Gangster Trap Queens. Yes. Yes, indeed. You know, which uh, which everyone could check out. Uh, well, Perion Roberts, I appreciate uh, you tell, you know sharing your story, and you know, wish you all the best. And it sounds like you got a lot of story left to tell. I do. I have a a a, a workbook that I've created also that I want people to. Um, it, it'll be on on uh, PerionRoberts.com uh, to pre-order. It's called it's a it's a book. It's a workbook to change criminal thinking to responsible thinking. Also, in the back, it'll give information once a person is out to who to contact, name and phone numbers of people to contact to help them with their transitioning to society. And uh, so you can also follow me on Instagram, Perion underscore Roberts. Make sure you check it out. Well, there you go. I appreciate you sharing your story, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you.